Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real, quantifiable institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Prince Machiavelli Institute for Fragrances and Flavors here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about recent studies that reconstruct the smell of perfumes used in ancient Egyptian burials. This has brought the age-old pattern of the rich people who smelled good and the poor people who stank into better focus. But now it is also possible to recover individual molecules from archaeological deposits and to discern the broader smellscapes of daily life. So what are good smells and bad smells, and does everybody agree? Dead fish are one thing, but what about new tires? And is it the smell that's the thing, or is it what the smell represents? Anyway, what does a crocodile smell like? Okay. I want everybody to be in a, in a good place and to be centered for this lightning round. <clears throat> what smell transports you and to where? You might have to cut out all this dead air. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The sound of our, our childlike laughter will, <laughs> will fill the voids. Right. It's pretty, uh, pretty psychologically uh, revealing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, right. it's whether we want to actually, you know. Okay. Well, you know, there are degrees. <laughs> you know, we don't want to, we don't want to go back too far in time necessarily. Right. But, All right. I got one. It took me okay. a while though, because nothing, nothing left to mind. Right. But um, the smell of boxwood trees transports me. <laughs> what are you making that look for? <laughs> well, boxwood trees. Again, we have to have video, but go on. <laughs> Transports me back to college where there was a boxwood tree, very fragrant, growing um, behind one of the uh, dormitories slash um, uh, sweatshops. <laughs> no, like performance <laughs> stages. Um, and uh, for a long time, boxwood would make me think of that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Professor Dessel. Oh my God. I'm going to go with something re really something very banal. The the uh, the smell of fresh fresh cut grass. Yeah. Reminds me of reminds me of uh, you know just growing up. Your, your old Kentucky home. Yeah, summertime and in my old Kentucky home. With the smell of freshly baked cookies wafting out of the, the kitchen window. Well, I was going to say it doesn't tr it doesn't transport me, but I just love the smell of of sautéed garlic and onions. Mm. 
Mm, that's good. Okay. Well, that's but like a different level. It's and that I guess that just transports me to you know <laughs> dinner. <laughs> Fair enough. Dinner and you know we've all been there. Millions it's of a semi archaeological one, um, yeah. but but this is kind of I don't know you know the smell of of manure in the morning transports. Oh me yeah. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. To early morning, yeah. getting up and into the field. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And of I course. actually like that smell in that context. Right. Well, and, and it's contextual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very. That makes me think of the smell of, of, uh, of, you know, spraying insecticide and insecticide and mickney. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, but that's not a very uh, pleasant. <laughs> right. Never Negative and smell. positive associations. Alex, what's yours? Uh, orange blossoms. Because where I lived in Tucson, 2340 8th Street. Everybody's going to be looking that up. Well, I just I just did. Um, the development, uh, the, the thing once known as La Mirada, um, surrounded by orange trees. Wow. And it was built way out in the desert in the 20s, presumably as a, a retreat for priests who had tuberculosis or something. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Whoa, this, is, this is taking an unseen turn. <laughs> <laughs> and the building was surrounded by, uh, by orange trees, which were so intense. Wow. So, um, and it was so into, it would like make your eyes water uh, during orange blossom season. And it's a very negative, but yet very positive kind of <laughs> connotation with the time, but it's also very specific. So now I can just smell like a, any sort of citrus and I'm transported back to my childhood. Very nice. Now there are other stories about this, about the La Mirada. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you might be getting off track. <laughs> we'll save those for another your own podcast. <laughs> we'll save those for another episode. Um, the wishing well and whatnot. Um. But hey, you know, for once we have a, a meaningful segue into the question of ancient smellscapes, which uh, which are all the rage now. And what did the past smell like? If you could, if you could pick one word to describe what the past smelled like, what would it be? Malodorous. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably better than my smelly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to go with bad. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you again next week. And yet a lot of what we've been reading is focusing on the good smells, the perfumes. Um, they mentioned the bad smells too, but there's been a lot of focus on reconstructing perfumes. Right. And I think that that's some of the least interesting work that's being done. Because Let me point out to our listener that I'm burning frankincense even as we speak. Oh, and it God. smells lovely. Stinking is, up the whole joint. Um, what, where does that smell transport you to? Is it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre kind of smell? Oh, that, yes, I guess it is. I guess it is. Although it really just transports me to the last time I burnt frankincense bought at Whole Foods. Uh, it's, yeah. it's more of a, um, oh my God, have I, have I been transported back to uh, my freshman dormitory in college <laughs> and 
um, they're covering, you know, the people next door are covering something up and we know what that is. Right. But uh, yeah, I guess I could have said patchouli and that would have that. I mean, patchouli always makes me think of Grateful Dead shows. Right. Um, go, go back, Alex. Get, I have, enough, I have, no, I have another one, but I'm not even going to go there. Wow. I mean, that's where we right. That's what we're all yeah. sort of restraining ourselves yeah we have a restraining order so it's, i mean we've already done smell in one way because we did the um the lump of of cannabis at arad right right and it's interesting in these articles uh, that we've been reading on smellscapes there's no mention of uh of any any cannabinoids that's a good point no actually um, in one in one of them there was it, it, they hadn't reconstructed it specifically but it was listed as along with tobacco and other um kind of herbal herbal smells from reconstructed from from um metabolites right but that right but that wasn't a data one that was just a uh methodology one right it was on the list it wasn't specifically data data driven well the data seems to be driven as you said rachel by largely by perfumes which i think is which is interesting because that reflects both uh the scholarly interest and an altogether too convenient public interest right right Um, um, I, I'm just going to jump in and, and point out something that struck me from one of these articles, which is um, that uh, the palace, right? The elites had perfumes and everything. Oh, we're talk- let's be a little more systematic. We're talking about Egypt. We're talking about Egypt. Thank you. Yeah. And which period? Because the, the stuff that we were reading had some New Kingdom right. examples and had some first century example right 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 this may have actually been referring it's a little unclear but i think it may have been referring to the 18th dynasty but it could have been referring to the cleopatra period Mm -hmm. Um, but i think it was a general statement that the palace would smell good um, or the elites of the palace would smell good versus the servants and um the the non-elites who worked in the palace but um, that made me think that no, no self-respecting ruler um, and elite is going to let their own servants who they interact with smell bad. Right. And um, I'm sure the kitchens smelled terrible and the laundry room smelled terrible. But I think anyone who, even lowly servants, would have smelled good in a palace context. Right. Especially because there were more of them than the elites. Right. So I would want them all in crisp linen tunics mm-hmm. and, and skirts and perfumed out the wazoo. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, I think our very first podcast was about soap. Yeah. Which is not unrelated. No, it's directly related. Yeah. We, we stand for hygiene, if nothing else, <laughs> in this podcast. Well, I wanted to start with just sort of considering how archaeology has brought various and sundry of the senses into focus. Mm. So mm. obviously we've, archaeology has always been in touch with touch, right? The feel of things. We taste sherds, we touch sherds, we touch basalt. We know all of these kinds of things. And then there's... Um, well, wait, but we, we know what they feel like, but 
but the question is what did they feel like to the creators? <laughs> well, did they feel well, I think Resolve felt the same. I don't think, I don't yeah. think they said, "Ooh, look at this nice soft material." Right. I'm going to make a. <laughs> I'm going to make some jockey shorts out of it. Because yeah. <laughs> they wear very well. Right. I, no, I, but it's 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 culturally conditioned attitudes towards these different textures. I feel materials. very neutral about basalt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on from that. I think we're getting bogged down here a little bit. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting that we talk a lot about food and drink. We have talked a lot about it. And certainly in, in, the, in the world of archaeology, they do. Um, and, and, but there's very little discussion of taste. True. You know, we talk about, oh, we, you know, bread and beer and wine, a little bit on, you know, the beer doesn't probably taste as strong and taste the same and the wine, et cetera. But it's interesting because taste and smell are so inextricably linked. Yeah, yeah. To the point where experiments have been done that if you, you know, serve somebody grape juice that's clear, they won't really perceive, I guess, you know, perceive the grape. Uh, um, so taste and smell are really very tightly interwoven. Um, but what I, I also wanted to mention is, is sight. And there's been a tremendous amount of work on color. Especially right. in the you know classical right. period, yes, right. Um, all of the you know the fact that um, these these Greek and Roman cities were colorful places, painted in garish pastelli colors, right. and, you know yeah. all of that. Yeah. But that was pretty. That's a pretty recent discussion. That probably started in you know what the mid early nineteen nineties, mid nineteen nineties, something like that, something okay. like that. And then in the last fifteen years, it's been a it's been sort of a whole world that's been brought to light. See what I did there? <laughs> Ooh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. It's <laughs> not that good. <laughs> it, took, it took us a minute. <laughs> um, and then we have sound. Sound, yeah. And sound right. is becoming a big thing. And sound is becoming a big thing. So when I was at the Albright, a colleague of mine was working on the sounds of a, of, of a, you know, of a crusader city or a city in, in the Levant in the, 11th and 12th and 13th centuries and especially bells and ringing of bells and all of that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So sound so is becoming increasingly. Um, we've moved out of the sounds of silence. That's but right. That's interesting actually, because sound I would think would only be available through texts. Yes. Um, as opposed to the, the, the color on sculpture, which you can detect traces of pigments and this business that we're talking about now, detecting traces of elements. Right. Those, those sound, I mean, if we found artifacts, if, if well, you know, oh, oh, oh. If right. there were and, symbols and clappers and bells. Right, right. and, there, and there are, um, there's statuary and figurines of, of musicians, obviously, of people playing a million different kinds of oh, drums and percussion right. instruments, yeah. Yeah. but also of groups who are um, doing some kind of collective sound creation including work songs and we obviously know a lot of work songs ethnographically right because you know you're sitting there weaving and it's really boring but you're making a rhythm and right so you get down with the rhythm right. uh, which is actually you know what they did in the past getting down with the rhythm and um yeah and uh so color and and sound and taste 
and smell. Mm-hmm. And smell. And now we are at smell. And, and I but think now we can the- reconstruct smell at the biomolecular level. Right, right, right. Those yeah, who knew, who, who knew there were so many scientific techniques to do this? <laughs> so many very detailed, specific scientific techniques. So they just had to scientific ask. techniques to extract, you know, all sorts of lipids and, and molecules and everything else. Right. And the emphasis is on pleasant smells, perfumes, and using textual sources, which tend to, at least from the Egyptian side of things, tend to emphasize uh, pleasant smells and not yeah. really identify and, and spend too much time on malodorous smells. Right. But what, I, what I'm curious about is if there's a big discrepancy between the, the smell rhetoric and the smell reality. So, you know, we have a lot of textual sources from Egypt mentioning smells and talking about them and how elites smell great and you walk through the palace and there's this smell and that smell. And there's some negative ones as well. But I'm wondering, I guess what came to my mind immediately is, do all of these perfumes that they're applying to themselves and undoubtedly to their hair and to them, to their clothes and to them, their bodies, do they really smell good? Do they smell cloying? Mm. And, you know, to the point of really, you know, inducing nausea. Right. So, I, I picture a lot of over perfumed, you know, yeah, like being stuck in a, like being stuck at a Broadway play in 1967 you know, with, with a lot of cloying perfume. Right. And everybody's smoking air. constantly. Yeah, exactly. A lot of smoking, a lot <laughs> and there's of a lot of Chanel number no. five that's yes, just being exactly. coming off in clouds. Even worse than Chanel number no. five, I picture, I smell Shalimar. You know, <laughs> something cheaper and more cloying. Right. Right. Well, you two have just described the smellscape of the 1960s very nicely. Well, 1960s New York City. I mean, right. right. And, you know, high, not, high karate. Not like a farm in Kansas or anything. Right. They're right. High karate. So there's old spice, another cloying kind of thing that dominated male, you know, smell for, you know, decades. Right. So, so yes, they, it, they might say it smells good. They might even think it smells good. But I bet if we were transported back to an Egyptian palace, it would smack you in the face. Open a window. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, you know, it comes down to hygiene because I don't think they were bathing so much as disguising the smell. So we've got this underlying stink, which is. Why don't you think they were bathing, though? If I were an elite, I would be. Bathing all the time. You'd be bathing all the time. In seltzer, no less. That's the question. Did the elites have enough access to soap and water to bathe all the time? I guess if you're- Nile River. Right, okay. Access to water. I mean, I would think that in the Northern Negev, you know- (laughs) That would be a problem. They might not be bathing a lot. Right. Um, Well, but it's also culturally conditioned because if you go to um, Versailles- (laughs) (laughs) Not, right, not yeah. today, but, you know, back, <laughs> back then, uh, everybody was very anti-bathing. Right. And uh, that was very much a characteristic of the, the Middle Ages, the early modern period. They thought it was bad for you. They would do it once a year reluctantly. Right. You know, the queen would have eight inches of pancake ma- makeup on her face. Right. And you would have um, office meetings in the, you know, with the king sitting on the toilet. Right. Right. I think that. I think our conception of, of smell 
has to, you know, kind of uh, elite smell has to be appropriately broadened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's for these kinds point. of cultural, social concepts, even in well-watered places. God knows what it smelled like in the badly watered places. Right. I mean, right. well, that's I'm actually sure. really an interesting thought. You know, you've got your major elites in Egypt who do live along the Nile and can bathe whenever they want. And then you've got like, I mean, there was water in Jerusalem. There was water in other places, but well, uh, I, I don't know how much water, how, I don't know how much extra <laughs> yeah, right. water there was in Jerusalem. Right. You can't, right. like, even if you're the king of Jerusalem, are you going to go to the Gihon Spring or have people bring you water every day from the Gihon Spring to bathe? I, I don't think it's good so. to be the king. It's good to be the king. Um, I mean, think about Qumran. I oh, mean, God. I mean, right. that, that, that group of all males, if they were indeed all males, you right. know, I'm sure nobody wanted to go near them. So, of course, they were all alone. Right. <laughs> you know, because right, I'm sure right. they smelled awful. Alone right. again, naturally. Yeah, really. And bathing was not their priority. No. Right. No. Or if you're if you're uh, you're sitting on a on a steely like a stylobite for 20 years. <laughs> right. And, and people are throwing up bread to you, you know, every couple of days. Yeah. Not gonna be good up there. No. No. Um that's all true. Yeah. So we're good at imagining bad smells. Well, I think for those of us who have been to Middle Eastern cities and you've gone through the quarter of the city in which you know there all the butcheries are. Right, right. Easy to conjure up bad smells. And tanneries, I've heard, are supposed to be right. quite. Horrible. And in cities where there's open sewage, which a lot oh, of yeah. global Everybody's. cities have open sewage. Yeah. To, I mean. Right. Well, that's why I wrote down this phrase. Um, the fecal backdrop. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> man, great, great. How am I going to get out of my head now? I am yeah. the phrase maker. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I think you got a punk band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of another Tucson piece of memorabilia, the band <laughs> called um, UPS. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, but are these kinds of smells ever good? You like the smell of manure in the morning. It I reminds do. you of, of, of happy times in the field, right? Victory. And yeah, but, but manure, <laughs> but manure from herd animals is different. Right. Okay. Right. They're eating a lot of grass and, um, you're there, you know, you're in a big, un, you know, a rural outside environment. But if you start, you know, smelling manure in a hot city, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're not going to have those same kinds of pleasant memories. That's a right. good point. That's a good point. London, 1300. <laughs> the pigs have, yeah. a new shipment of pigs has just arrived. Right. Um, um, so, uh, so, yeah, but I mean, back to sort of the heart of the article, clearly in the case of Egypt, the elite's we're taking a lot of steps to counteract their malodorous environments. Yes. And of course the Nile was particularly nasty because it was marshy and the Delta was swampy and there were lots of fish. Right. And, you know, that's a, I mean, that's crocodiles, a, you know, right. That, right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I think fish smell worse than crocodiles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
had um, a hippopotamus. I've never actually smelled a crocodile. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> that's a good. I mean, fish when you when they smell bad, it's because they're dead and it, you're in a right. sort of hot, humid environment. So I guess a decaying crocodile would smell as bad right. as a decaying fish, but you just don't have the opportunity. Fair enough. <laughs> 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 I mean, we, we we're we're happy to be corrected by anybody who's ever actually smelled a crocodile, but barring that, see, I'm just fascinated. <clears throat> there, there are two things. I'm fascinated by the idea that we've reached the point here in the in the 24th and a half century that actual individual molecules recovered literally from dirt can now be used to reconstruct not only diet, not only health, but the actual smellscape that you could take a handful of dirt from some sealed context in a, in any archeological context or a tooth with tartar or a tooth or a bone or a pot or a pot shirt and send it to the lab and get a report on the lipids and the, the proteins and the DNA and Okay, so there's these animals, and they were eating these kinds of foods, and all these kinds of things, and then imagine a, uh, uh, you know, and type ah, it against type. A, 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 you know, a, a library of molecules and create a smellscape out of it. But you're not creating a smellscape, and this is the this is part of this whole analysis that I find very problematic. You're compiling a list of smells rotting animal carcasses and um, human waste and uh, perfumes and unguents and pine resin, but you're still not, and we have that smell in our head and we have that association, but that's still not living in it and smelling it in a- Smell-o-vision kind of- (laughs) Exactly, in a totality, let alone a totality that exists without um, you know, without any kind of respite for, you know, decades, right? So yes, oh, it smells, you know, oh, this is great. They had, they had the smell of pine. Oh, this is horrible. They had the smell of a rotting carcass, but it's still, there's, it's still abstract because you're not living in it and thus you're not really experiencing it. So here's And if you live in it and experience it, you obviously develop a capacity to literally breathe through it. Right. Right. You know that because that's all, you know, that's all you have. Right. And when you're in a room with the smell for too long, you don't smell it anymore. Right. So they, even if we, so we can, uh, so we can approximate the smells, but there's still the abstraction to living in the smells. And for those in antiquity, living in the smell, they, because it's such a subjective category smell, um, they had probably a very different set of sensibilities regardless of the rhetorical you know, no, na- nature of the, of the texts, which kind of say, we elites want to smell good stuff. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but, um, but firstly, obvi- also, you know, let's stop dealing with the elites, even though that's really what all archeology span does, yeah. right? Yeah. Is by and large, everything is elite driven. Um, but for the rest of society, they just live with it. Exactly. And one thing that was interesting, actually, is that something we read pointed out that, you know, all the texts are written by 
elites and also all the texts concentrate on the good smells, you know, describing perfumes. Well, there were there in one of these things, there's a reference to <laughs> bad milk, <laughs> bad, no, bad smells being associated with, uh, with a negative experience and a, and a particular God or goddess, whichever right. it is, right. Who's, right. Well, who's, point- who's a bad person. Okay, right. My, my point, though, is going to be that maybe no one takes the time or bothers to describe the negative smells because they were all over the place. And that right. was just the, the, the smellscape of everyday life. So why bother writing about that it? That was the default. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and they do mention some bad smells Yeah, uh, that we can, you know, easily identify and sort of, you know, be sympathetic to, um, right. you know, Ramsey's the six talking about the fetid nature of the Delta and having to clean it up. Right. But um, I, I still think that the elites striving for anything good, you know, good scenic vistas, good taste, good smell, good touch. But is, but is good good? good? Is good a, a, a cross-culturally uniform thing? Wasn't there that one reference to the fact that, that you know, ethnographic literature and right. sociological <clears throat> literature suggests that there is an objective reality to smell? Like everybody thinks old rotting fish smells bad. Right. And there, there, mm-hmm. there are cultural variations, but really right. bad things smell bad. Right. But uh, like a cultural <clears throat> variation, do you think that, that gasoline smells good or bad? Oh, that's a good question. That that's actually something that evokes childhood memories. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um I knew people who thought gasoline smelled great, but I never right. did. But you know what I loved and still loved is <laughs> gas coming out of a stove. You know, before it kills you. <laughs> <laughs> before there's that big kaboom. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with you, Rachel. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Good. And right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, um, but there are idiosyncratic molecules. It's like that. Okay, okay Mr. Science. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's like it's like cilantro. It's the cilantro. Right. It's the right. cilantro or asparagus. Right. I guess. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I, either you you love it or you hate it because you have some kind of genetic predisposition to liking right. that. Right. Thing. Right. Well, this is the other thing that contra dicts, you know, my like of the smell of gas from a stove is, uh, you know, there's the evolutionary d- dead fish that's been rotting smells bad. Don't right. Well, that's a good point. Bad. Yeah. Right. So, bad so, things are bad for you. Right. Exactly. Bad smells represent things that are bad for you. Right. How do you guys feel about new tires in a, in a store? In a, if you go to a tire I, store, it's not bad. I, nice. I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but what is it? But what does it say to you? Is it is there a chain of association that is, or is it just like, wow, that smell? Or is it like, yeah, these are, these are, it's a great smell and it represents new Fresh. newness, freshness, newness and, freshness. <laughs> and, and the open road. There is a newness aspect to it. Cause yeah. you know, old tires don't smell good. Right. Well, there's also like the whole new car smell thing, right? right. New car yeah. smell. Right. And tires are just rubber. I think it's fresh rubber that we like. This <laughs> All right, we're going off into a very weird, very weird area okay. here. <laughs> okay, I want to take this in a different direction. Okay, Why? please. So we we read, you know, we didn't read voluminously about about a lot of articles about smell, but it seems like 
the Egyptian, Egyptian society did have a lot of literature on smell. Where are the Mesopotamians in all this? Mm, I mean, good question. you know, I would have that's imagined that, that some of these articles would have said, and we see the same thing in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamian elites. And right. I wonder if that material is there and Assyriologists either have not, you know, sort of, sort of plumbed those depths. Because I imagine that these big mud brick cities like Mari, you know, that are kind of filled with warrens and, you know, twisty little roads or the Indus Valley cities, which are also huge and filled with a very, very sophisticated series of roads and wells and everything else, that those places must have smelled awful. Yeah. But the smell yeah. would have been kept in by, you know, huge wall systems and alleyways and all of right. that. Low ceilings. <laughs> right. Right. Um, well, uh, the, the, the construction that's trying to mitigate the heat is also slightly screwing you up with respect to the dispersion of smells. Right. It's not the heat. It's the smell. Right. This might be just one of these instances where Egypt gets a lot more attention, at least with the public, than Mesopotamia does. As, as well, I'm just wondering if, if there's Mesopotamian source material and if there yeah. and why wasn't it at least in, in a very, very broad way, you know, yeah. noted yeah. by the Egyptologists as a, you know, sort right. of comparanda. Right. Um, there, must, there must be source. There must be something there. out there. It just that hasn't I, reached. We're not thinking. Yeah. <laughs> right. It hasn't I mean, reached down to our level. You know, right. like someplace like the palace at Knossos, <clears throat> because it is very big, but it's also you know, packed and dense. Mm -hmm. That must have either smelled, I think, really sweet slash cloying mm -hmm. or awful. Probably sweet. Probably they weren't doing butchery sweet. in there. Well, yeah. Right, but but also most most palaces of one sort or another are, to generalize, slightly elevated, slightly okay. open. So you can, you can want a breeze, a little right. cross ventilation. I, I think a lot window. of it has to do with the functions taking place in the palace. Right. Obviously. Right. right. So I think that ultimately it's what's going on in there. And that's, in, and that's a very interesting question because we always assume a certain amount of activities, industrial activities are taking place within cities and a certain kind of stuff is taking place outside of cities. And we always have the medieval template that we probably rely on too heavily you know, um, but, well, there's uh, the, the there's the Middle Eastern city template to the extent that that's a, I mean, it was always regarded historically and anthropo anthropologically as a thing. But at the very least, we can say from that is that you know you put the tanneries over there somewhere, right? right. You know, don't put them upwind. Put but them honestly, downwind. why would they even ever have tanneries within the city walls? Why not always put them outside and yeah. you know just schlep whatever's valuable back inside at the end of the day? Well, isn't the stuff itself valuable though? So right, like, but I mean, well, or or I, again, I just I never understood why something as malodorous as a tannery would be inside city walls. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that, but you don't want somebody to take your half-dried hides and walk off with them during you, the night. So when you're going to tan a bunch of hides, that you then you run the thing then you run the production for like 
you know, seven straight days or something. <laughs> and then you schlep everything in. Right. So you keep like guards <laughs> outside while yeah, it's exactly something. Right. Like All right. That. Good point. Right. Good point. Right. Little... Um, well, what about, okay. So, so just to turn it slightly, um, what about temples? Because temples, you've got the incense and the ceremonies, but at the same yeah. time, you've got slaughter of animals. Yeah. yeah. It's going to stink in there. Entrails right. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So there's a contradiction. And there's yep. blood everywhere. Yeah, right. And it's a huge, it's a huge mess. And to, to clean up even rudimentarily, you need <laughs> access to water. That's right. true. And you don't always right. have it easily. And these priests are running around and, you know, fine garments and getting blood all. I mean, it mu- right. It must've just been a complete, I hesitate to use the term, but you know, fecal show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would have been a mess. Yeah. <laughs> And you got all your servants who clean it up every every night, I suppose. And uh, you know, and you, the other thing about when you're slaughtering animals and they're you, you know you're lining these animals up and you're sort of you know walking them through the whole process is that animals when they get scared they start you know mm. yeah right and so there there was that end there you know they're it's they're a god awful mess and pooping and right. Right. probably vomiting all over the place. The more I think about it, a temple would have been probably the last thing. I mean, it's amazing actually that religion made it through the iron age. Mm, mm. And yeah. And there, and temples are in the center of the city or sometimes often on the Acropolis with all the other public buildings. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you've got to get the animals in and what remains of the animals and their products oh. out. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you're you're they're going from hoof to table very quickly. Hoof <laughs> <laughs> <Off> to <the> table. <laughs> that's that's the name of a new place that just opened in Scarsdale. Hoof <laughs> <laughs> <Off> to <the> table. <laughs> wow. Yep. Okay. You stun them. You kill them. You butcher them. <laughs> Do it Yahweh. That's that's an old SNL routine. <laughs> wow. My point okay, yeah. is going to be that that you know they're they're in and out kind of kind of quickly. Like you don't. Well, I guess there's cooking time, but um, oh, and cooking smells good. <laughs> it's an in really, burger. Grilling smells good. Um, yeah. Well, the grilling part smells good, right? The end of the process smells great, right? Yeah. And you can go to any you know any big time college football town. You know, on right. a, on a Saturday before the game, and everyone's tailgating, and they're all roasting flesh. Well, maybe that's what Near Eastern religion really is. Right, exactly. it's just a giant tailgate party. Yeah, it's and I mean, you know, speaking from an SEC town, I think that basically um, going to an SEC football game is as close as you can get to you know a big religious ceremony of the bronze festival or Iron Age yeah. in the Middle East. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting analogy. Yeah, so the roasting of the flesh, the end part of the whole thing. Yeah, that's a good. Well, not for everybody. Obviously, vegetarians <laughs> really, really freak out at that part. But for, <laughs> but for us omnivores, you know, that's a that's a nice smelling thing. But boy, the steps before that, the slaughter yeah. and removing the offal and everything else. Even in the SEC, they don't bring them in live. No, they don't. Nope. <laughs> nope. They do not. Um. Yeah, well, that's a pretty, pretty stunning kind of analogy. Yeah. Oh, I always use that analogy because I, I talk about the god Goval and how, you know, before these big games, you know, they, they pour libations to Goval and they, 
you know, they dress in the garments of Goval and they, you know, they sing the songs and praise and have the hymns of Goval and then they offer up the sacrifices to Goval. I'm yeah. not getting it. Goval. Oh, uh, well, at Tennessee, the, they're the, we're the volunteers. Oh, and got so it. it's called Goval, you know, Govals. Got it. So yeah. I've named the God of the University of Tennessee is Goval. And, and the, the fallen God of Penn State. Right. No. Joe Pa. Wow. Very true. Um, Other end of the analogy. Right. Well, I mean, if we want to continue the religious kind of psychodrama here. <laughs> Do we want to? No, not really. No, I, I have a different direction. Shall yeah. I? Oh, please. please. <laughs> it's not a better direction. direction. Um, so, you know, in the parts of the Levant, in a bunch of time periods, actually, in addition to cemeteries, you had intramural burial. You would bury some of your chosen dead under the floors of, of domestic structures as well as larger structures. And this is something I used to write about back, back in the day. And one thing I always wondered about is, yes, you, you bury them and you plaster over the floor, but there's always, you can see where the burial is. It's not always complete and intentionally not completely plastered over. So- um, What's does, that smell? Oh, right, that's right just, exactly. That's just grandpa. Right, right. But exactly. the thing is, is that in grandpa's last three or four or five years of life, he probably smelled just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like- <laughs> A testable hypothesis that is currently discouraged by by public authorities. So, maybe, so you know, Grandpa under the floor is probably better than Grandpa. You know, mumbling. I don't know. If, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, I think I think you have something there, but I do think <laughs> that, that um, bodily decay of a loved one is probably a disturbing as well as bad odor, and I don't think that it was that it was, I mean, I, I do think it was present. Um, okay. so. no, we, we desperately need a new direction. Well, it couldn't have been that bad or else they wouldn't have done it. We're assuming yeah. that they're, that they're but, not, you know, they're, they're, they're intelligent people. I, I, mean, I it, but putting the your ancestors, for... putting Sorry, your dead ahead. ancestors under the floor. Well, okay. But yeah. as we know from, um, from <clears throat> several sites, most recently um, Megiddo, if you're an elite, you get to be buried with some interesting exotic smells. Um, anyway, because you don't want to stink into the into the afterlife, you're going to be buried with vanilla. Yeah, but it's not you don't want to be you don't want to stink in the afterlife. It's more like the 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 your living loved ones don't want to smell your stink. That's so right. they'll, really they'll interesting. Lather right. lather you with vanilla. Right. 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 No, and everybody not- else, but now we can find out what everybody else was slathered with. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're extra mural burials, so you're not going to even smell them. They're out in the fields. Well, that would okay, be but- interesting. Although, I mean, I think there's plenty of evidence, you know, just from the types of pots buried, both extramurally and intramurally, that they're burying as much, you know, nice smelling stuff out of the walls as inside the walls. Yeah, but now we can tell biomolecularly, right, <clears throat> that what what was being buried with them and yeah. to reconstruct the the smell profile of a common person's burial maybe they were just sprinkled with 
with peppermint and lavender that was gathered up as opposed to exotic materials like vanilla, which have to come from Africa or where have right. you. Right. Yeah. There's and, the whole import side of it, which we've already discussed importing, I think. Last right. Well, we're emphasizing the exports. <laughs> <laughs> well, does anyone want to mention the Mendesian perfume of Cleopatra and, and which was sort of the heart of the article? Yeah. Go, go right ahead. <laughs> so we have myrrh, resin, frankincense, nutgrass, cinnamon, date oil, Seems like, uh, I don't know, seem, seems like a very brash, <laughs> loud kind of, you know, right. compilation of smells. Yeah. It's um, a hit you in the face kind of fragrance. Spicy <laughs> yet sweet. Special for a, especially made for a queen. Right. right. I mean, if, you, if they're putting cinnamon in it, then, you know. That's very the, sweet. The, the, right. The connection between food and Perfume is pretty close. That's a good point. Date right. oil as well. Vanilla. So uh, that wasn't in Cleopatra's. I know. I'm just I'm hearkening back to <laughs> another recent episode of ours. Right, right. You're creating a whole new scent profile. I am. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure I know what myrrh smells like. What is myrrh? Good question. Like? Beats me. I know what frankincense smells like right now. <laughs> you think you think that that's what frankincense smells like, but that's, I that's know so down frankincense. Huh? That's modern frankincense. Right. Well, and that's another question, right? We think yes. so it, these smell like, but do we really? Right. Just as the just as the taste of an ancient strawberry and a modern strawberry are probably nowhere near similar. Yeah. What is yeah. the smell of you know frankincense circa? 1500 BCE or 1000 BCE versus frankincense now, which is processed and, you know, made, made very specifically to appeal to people. Right, right. No, it's a very good question. Um, I, I'm also interested in the way that um, <clears throat> all of these smell profiles necessarily change 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. in yep. a in a site or you know community and seven days a week and seasonally so you're, you're trying to we're, we're trying to talk about something that is fundamentally dynamic yeah everything smelled bad <laughs> and you had these with you know overwhelming cloying notes of right. burning burning um dung and right. uh stuff like that but mm -hmm. if we want to drill down there's there's a, a tremendous amount of variability but does any of this matter really well that's a whole i was thinking that also okay yeah. well yeah. i wrote but so what down right. because that's when you're talking about you know basically explicating the ancient world at a molecular basis ultimately you know so what or is the so what really contingent on on the imports and the exports in, in, with respect to, okay, you know, exotic materials or commonplace materials showing the circulation of, and the economy and blah, blah, blah. Or are these the, the kind of, um, you know, materialist questions that have been transcended by, by archaeologists in the 21st century? And we, 
are in a phenomenological kind of stage where we experience, we can imagine the experience rather than. Well, that would be nice if at ACER meetings and if someone was doing a, you know, paper on a smellscape or household archaeology, if if they started blasting into the, through the air ducts, (laughs) manure and the smell of red sheep, you know, in the middle of winter in Jerusalem and, you know, the smell of dead fish from Ashkelon, you know, that that would really ramp things up in a a real, really strange way. Let's go beyond ACER. How about a five alarm museum? What, you know, is that the next phase for this to making it relevant for the public by, by, you know, well, an exhibit and blasting smells into the exhibit. Right. Well, one of the authors of these, of these uh, pieces uh, does smell of reconstructions and exhibitions, and you can have her come to your um, house or place of work or school (laughs) and she'll, you know, get out her vials and make, Cleopatra's, uh, you know, mm. toothpaste or whatever, and um, Mendesian perfume. Mendesian perfume, right? But does that does that bring it? Yeah, okay, it brings you closer in a expeririential way. But what does it tell us? Yeah, right. Things smelled. Right. Things smelled and I, good. I mean, I've been bad. saying to students for years. You know, let's <laughs> step back for a minute and think about how you know, living in Megiddo in, you know, the Middle Bronze Age was like, and I, you know, first and foremost, it probably really stank. Right, right. Yeah. And and there's also, you know, as I was reading all about um, mass spectronomy and all this, um, I, I was thinking, this is great that we can extract these smells. And <laughs> Here we go. Them. Yeah. Okay. So here's my Luddite thing, but <laughs> what about... Um, what our favorite Muppet Elmo says, which is use your imagination. So is it, you know, sort of the so what factor? Should, should, we, should we be wasting our time on this or should we just be imagining the smells as, you know? From a logical perspective? Yeah. Well, when has, when has archaeology ever done things on the basis of pure logic? I mean, I, one of the things I like about all this is, yeah, it expands our our understanding broadly speaking of the, of antiquity in, in all places and in specific places and specific ways, it, it may not tell us something that's dramatically new that we couldn't have thought through. Right. But, you know, one the, the authors of one of these sort of broader pieces talked about the implications of these things for ritual trade, social hierarchy, medicine, and sanitation right and that's that's a reasonable it's a reasonable way of looking at it but again true what's going to be new that we wouldn't have we couldn't have sort of inferred right and i think that there's a temporal component to it so when we talk about color and we now start thinking about you know lots and lots of classical sculptures being all of these colors and all of the walls being painted. That's a permanent image because now whenever we look at classical sculpture- Can't not see it. You, yeah. Right, you, A, yeah. you cannot see it, and B, you create a mental map that sculpture right. now is polychromatic. And so when I'm looking at these sculptures, we now know and we, you know, and we teach and we present right. that everything- And it's is the same colored. for Mesopotamian sculptures too. Right. and They're all painted. Right, and it's a permanent state. But smell is ephemeral. It's ephemeral. It's not permanent. And so, you know, even if someone comes through and 
does their little dog and pony show with vials. Ooh, smell this, ooh, smell that. It's, it comes and it goes. And yeah. when you think of that society, you can't really, unless you're, you know, going to live in some kind of, <laughs> you know, bubble suit in which they're pumping that smell in all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially if it's a bad smell, <laughs> no one's going to do that to themselves. So I think there's a temporal aspect to smell and taste that differentiate it from sight and touch. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And if I'm understanding you correctly, I mean, smell is ephemeral in the ancient world too. You know, you're not smelling the same thing right. day right. in and day out. So Right. So. And if you need a break, you just, you know, I'm going out to the creek. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go take a swim in the Nile. Exactly. exactly. I'll off a little bit after. I'm going into much the-, in the tannery. I'm going to go out into the field. Or I'm going to go out into the desert where, you know, and purify myself exactly. exactly you know but that's that's it you make an interesting point but i i would maybe argue that we're we're kind of at the beginning of cognizing the the importance of smell into our broader reconstructions uh of of the past like as you say color we're, we're you know color's been around for a while and we're right. beginning to see the past in color so to speak right all these places are garishly painted right um and that's beginning to change our picture in terms of well you know uh, what the experience that they had and and their their taste and (laughs) judgment um and and smell is the smells the same way smells kind of a, a a higher order of abstraction and reconstruction but on the other hand you know i'm I'm struck. Uh, I, I read a book a while back about um, <clears throat> about London in the 1940s, when nobody had running water, mm-hmm. um, when people took baths once a week at public bathhouses, and certainly during the during the war, and there's rationing. Everybody's clothes are, you know, falling off because they're so shredded. And it really changed my image of what this uh, society was was like, and you know, this tremendously greater amount of information. But maybe, maybe it's the same thing with with antiquity. It stank. Mm-hmm. People walked around in in rags. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole world's a Dickensian novel. <laughs> it's a Dickensian nightmare. Right. <laughs> so how about how about this? How about if you're hearing a lecture about smell? from someone who you find is malodorous. Ooh. Mm, that has happened. <laughs> it, a whole, it turns into a whole meta thing. If the person giving the lecture, if you fa- feel that their choice of perfume is, is obnoxious and bad, and yeah. they say this smells like this and that smells like that, and you go, yeah, but you think that smells good and I think that smells awful. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That's a really, you could say the same thing about, about clothes, you know, you can, but, but there's so much more uniformity in clothes, right? right. Men wear trousers and shirts, right. Right? right? You know, women wear skirts, dresses, or trousers. I right. mean, there's lots of, there's much less variability. I mean, granted at SBL meetings, you know, when the monks come through, you know, there's a little bit more variability, but by and large, the way we dress and certainly at, you know, certainly at informal the, settings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Very okay, narrow good, point, range. good point. Right. But okay. the way we smell is still pretty, you know, and I guess we're not, we're not aware of the way we smell 
at least to others, the way we were aware how we present our clothing. And now I'm gotta feel like I need to sniff around a little bit. Right. Well, that brings to mind the you know the the George Carlin routine about you know could knock a buzzard off a shit wagon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been waiting all I've been waiting all day for podcast to trot that one out. <laughs> 40 episodes in <laughs> finally gets it out well, there's, you know there's this now, now there's a new um some kind of documentary on george carlin so everyone's going to be trotting out yeah um, or no was that george carlin or was that um robert klein that was robert klein to go to mr google but <laughs> your well, breath could knock a buzzard off a shit wagon <laughs> well whoever it is it's a very good quote it's a good quote. Final thoughts? <laughs> I, I'm glad none of you can smell me. <laughs> Thank God for Zoom. I think we that's an opinion that we all share <laughs> with respect to ourselves. <laughs> and then, I, I smell fine. I'm sure you do. Thank we you. all so, think we smell fine. Well, and that's, that's an interesting thing. Or, or do we? Or, or is that individually, psychologically constituted? Right. Goodness, the goodness and badness of, of smells and one's own smell. Right. I mean, I, we had a cat in, the, in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't smell if, this ha- if the house smelled like a cat. But I know other people would come in and go, whoa. Okay, <laughs> guys, right, right. You know. yeah, I think that's, that's common with pet owners. Exactly. Yeah. And pet owners never really get too you know, in the weeds on that one because the reality is, yeah, your house yeah, smells like you have a cat. <laughs> right. And if, you're, and if your house smells like you have um, cattle and sheep living downstairs. <laughs> right. Right. Hence you just don't smell that, it anymore. Yeah. Hence the fact that in the Middle East, in the Levant, everyone you know, did everything on the roof. Right. right, right. Good point. Good point. And especially if, if people are correct that like in, in um, Israelite houses or whatever we want to call them, forum houses, you know, if you're really keeping animals right in the stalls, right next to where you're working and sleeping right above them, you know, that, that could be a whole episode right there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes me think rethink, about that one. That makes me rethink cities like Ashkelon and Ashdod, mm. you, you know processing millions of tons of fish and Mm -hmm. there's a sea breeze though and you think you think (laughs) it is but those walls those ramparts kept all that smell in there yeah that's that's disturbing okay well that's a good final thought (laughs) yeah the past stank kids (laughs) give me mountain folk (laughs) all right all right okay Um, well It's going to be hard to wash the smell of that episode out of my hair. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator and residents at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Mandem, the only cologne personally endorsed by Charles Bronson. It's the smell of freedom. To get in touch, leave us a comment, or send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or sent us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.